What is going on, fellas, folks, and friends? We are the big dudes in the trenches. Uh, unfortunately, Tug is not here once again, but Bug and Doug are here to walk through some more conference previews with y'all today. We are- I've been I've been waiting for this day for so long. I'm so excited. You have you have no idea. We are working through all of the Division One football conferences in our conference preview series this summer. That means FBS and FCS both. We're currently in about smack dab in the middle of the FBS uh, with the American Conference here on this episode of the audio podcast. Uh, if you're watching us live, you will also see the Pac-12 later. Uh, if you're listening on audio, you can go find the Pac-12 probably uploaded tomorrow or if you're listening later uh it's it's available Go you can it. also find the pac 12 and shambles if you just listen to recent news uh, you know the only way this could have worked out better timing wise is if i did the pac 12 and big 12 today oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, i set this schedule like a couple of months ago for us the fact it worked out this well is, is great in itself. But we will get to the Pac-12 in a little bit. I've been waiting <laughs> for this particular episode for a hot minute. And the reason we put the American Athletic Conference where we did is because we consider them to be the best group of five conference. And I think, I mean, hell, they've got two conference champions in the conference. I mean, come on. They're obviously the best, right? That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is <laughs> there is a whole lot of new stuff going on in the American Athletic Conference this year. Not even just in terms of the conference realignment talks you know, with Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston all leaving for the Big 12. Uh, this is the first year without them for the American Athletic Conference. Those teams are no longer in the American. Uh, they brought in a whole bunch of other schools to replace them. Uh, Some I'm more excited about than others, but, you know. This is quite the list of conference realignment uh, that's just happened here. Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, uh, UTSA, UAB UAB. are all in their first season. North Texas as well. I said North Texas. I counted to six. It, it worked. Uh, <laughs> okay. I know. It's it's hard to keep track of. It's so many new it things. It really is. It really is. In, in addition to that, we have the most first-year head coaches of any conference. Like, by far. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven first-year head coaches and two second-year head coaches. Like, there's there's so many new head coaches in this conference as well. It is – this is a completely different-looking uh, division of football than what we saw a year ago. When you think of the American Athletic Conference, this is something different. Yeah, and it's <clears> – <throat> It's crazy because as much as this conference is in flux, a lot of these teams are in flux too with the new head coaches. There's a lot of mystery and things up in the air about this conference. And if you ask some fans of some teams here, they'll say, man, this conference is really taking a hit. I don't agree with that at all. You know, UTSA, for example, 
was Conference USA champ last year, and frankly, they would have competed very well in the American Athletic Conference, and I believe that to be true for the past two years. I've seen the praises of North Texas for a couple years going on here now. East Carolina has been fantastic as well. And then let's not forget Tulane won the conference almost out of nowhere. I, I, I feel comfortable saying out of nowhere. We underestimated them for sure, and I know a lot of other people did as well. And then you still got teams like Memphis, SMU, and South Florida, and Temple for that matter, that can all have amazing seasons pretty much whenever they want to. It's just if they put it all together or not. This is, in my opinion, and I, I think Doug's as well, the best group of five conference, and I'm excited to get into it. I don't think they lost a step with the teams that left the conference this year. I think it's close. It's it's debatable whether or not they're the definitive best. I, I think the last conference. I think if you were here with us live on Tuesday, uh, you couple those two conferences in with the the American Athletic, you've definitely got the best in one of those three for sure. That is for certain. There is no doubt in my mind. Uh, they're they're better in Conference USA and the MAC. Is, <laughs> I'm just. I, I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable putting my money on the Sunba or the Mountain West, though, for what it's worth. I would say you're more likely to have more really good teams in the American than you'll have in either the Sun Belt or the Mountain West. But you might have the best individual team might be from any one of those three any given year. Unfortunately, uh, the first team in the American we're going to talk about is not good, and that's why they have a first-year head coach. And I love his name, Biff Poggy. Uh, but, man, I – I feel I feel for this team right now. Coming off a three and nine season last year, and two and six in uh, Conference USA. Ugh, I I've never put it together. His name is Biff Poggers, because uh, <laughs> that's how you pronounce it. And it's Pogi, but that's fine. <laughs> no, if, if he has made headlines. Uh, in the past couple of days, if you've been keeping up with the American Athletic Conference media days, because there were only three questions directed to him the entire press conference, the entire media days, and he got pissed. He's like, wow, I see what y'all think about Charlotte here. I see how welcome we are in this conference. Y'all really come out here with only three questions for the Charlotte 49ers. I so. I mean, I think that's fair because, honestly, the only game I see them even being able to consider winning is against South Carolina State, and that's even kind of a toss-up. And that's to open the year. Yeah, but because of how fiery Biff is, I'm, you know, five wins is reasonable at the same time somehow. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm. I am excited to see how they do. I. I hope they're not the punching bag that I'm expecting them to be, uh, because that's that's going to be the worst if you just bring in. Because there are a couple teams that came into the conference this year that did not have stellar seasons last year. So I totally get the whole mindset of oh, we're getting worse as a conference. They are bringing bringing back a shattered bird at running back. The front of that offensive line looks pretty decent with Panda Askew at left guard. Hell of a name. Respect it. On the defensive line, they're bringing an old Miss transfer, cousin of Jadavian Clowney, Demon Clowney. That is 
also incredible. Is it uh, Demon or is it Demon? I'm calling him Demon. I don't know. I, I'm, fine <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's maybe maybe he pulls something out of his hat. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think that's really the best way to leave Charlotte. There's they only came up to Division One FBS what five years ago. It's been pretty recent, if I remember. It's right. been recent, but unfortunately for them, though, I will say uh, he doesn't even have a hat to pull it out of. He is he's wearing a visor. <laughs> Perfect. Next up, again, going alphabetically, as we've been doing, uh, there are no divisions here, so we won't have any weird jump in Which is order. fucking amazing, as many teams as there are. I think they just haven't gotten around to actually doing them again. I don't think they're going to. I think it's wonderful that they're not going to as well. That's fair. That's a discussion That's for a different time. Anyway, East Carolina's up next. Mike Houston's entering his fifth season here. I gotta say, when Mike Houston took office uh i don't feel like i had a whole lot of faith or even knowledge of what east carolina could be mike houston has revealed some strength to the program that i didn't know was possible like i don't i, I think there's a difference and I don't, I don't it's hard to describe it necessarily but i think there is a big difference between a coach who builds a culture and like creates a new culture versus a coach who allows the school's culture to thrive. And I feel like that second vibe is more of what Mike Houston's done here. I don't, maybe I'm speaking out my ass. Well, I will say last year, especially a lot of that was on the shoulders of Holton Ehlers, who is no right. longer with the team. I don't, did he transfer? He just, I know he was a senior. I don't know if he graduated or transferred somewhere. I, believe he graduated <clears throat> but regardless Holt Naylor said you know what we've been a middle of the road team too long I'm gonna put this team on my back and we're start winning some big football games they only finished eight and five but that did include a winning in the Birmingham Bowl against Coastal Carolina who we praised heavily last episode but Holt Naylor's really was the heart and soul of this team last year I'm curious to see how they're gonna be able to go on without him I'd, I would put more of their success on Ehlers than I would on Mike Houston. And that's not to say that he played no part in it. That's just to say how important Holton Ehlers was to this team last year. Holton Ehlers is now an undrafted member of the Seattle Seahawks. So nice. Hopefully, hopefully he gets a shot to really succeed there. Uh, yeah, he was, he was phenomenal for them. The career leader for East Carolina in passing yards, passing touchdowns, all sorts of statistical categories he's the best quarterback east carolina's ever had and i uh, know they wish he was still there because they opened the right. season in ann arbor Woo. good luck they would 100 percent win that game jim harbaugh being suspended holton ehlers coming back for his revenge tour right <laughs> they, he should have he should have found an extra year somewhere they're just giving away <laughs> in college football right now so i I don't know who's going to end up being the starter at quarterback. I have no oh, bearing man. on that. I also don't really know who's going to end up being the starter at running back. They're returning Raji Harris, who's the who was the second leading rusher last year, I believe. Um, Keaton Mitchell obviously was phenomenal, as well as Holton Ehlers. Keaton Mitchell's gone too. So 
to fill that void, maybe Raji Harris steps up. Maybe also the transfer from Georgia Southern, Gerald Green, really fills that void. He was almost a thousand yard rusher last year and comes into the American Athletic Conference to see if he can do that here too. That's, I think, either one of these guys could be phenomenal. And behind a right guard like Isaiah Foote, I think you're going to do just fine in the running game, which definitely helps a new starting quarterback. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're going to learn a lot about themselves early in the season. As we already mentioned, opening against Michigan at the big house and then hosting Marshall and then going to Appalachian state. I mean, those are three exciting games to open up the season. I'm curious to see what this team's going to be able to do. They played a very smash mouth style in recent years, even with Holton Naylor's. He was a bruiser for a quarterback. It was insane to see. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm really am excited to see what this ECU team is able to do this season. I certainly am as well, uh, but a lot of unknowns there. Uh, speaking of unknowns, first-year head coach for our next school, Florida Atlantic. The last time we saw Tom Herman, he was run out of town uh, in Austin for not bringing Texas back, unfortunately. <laughs> and he was recently an offensive analyst for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, but nobody saw him there, you know? Nobody saw him. <laughs> I don't even think the Chicago Bears saw him. He just... He did something. That team was better, significantly better on offense. If somebody has watched the Bears his whole life, this was a much better offense. Yeah, but I feel like they're going to take a step up this year again anyway without him. That's that's so. a different discussion. That's a different discussion. <laughs> I could go on for hours about that. I'm Tom interested. Herman's, Tom Herman's back in college football, ladies and gentlemen. This is incredible. Yeah, I'm interested <laughs> to see what he's going to be able to do here as well because, like we said, there's some unknowns with this conference, and when they do open conference play, Tulsa, who a, a team we didn't mention at the top, they're always a wild card as well. So it's really going to be uh, interesting, I guess is the the best word here, to see how they fare uh, in this conference schedule. They're, they're not conference schedule looking like a 500 schedule. It's not bad for them. It's definitely not going to be the trial by fire that ECU is going to have. Right. Definitely. I will say it is also incredible to me. It's kind of strange to me. Uh, as as much as people have tipped their, their the biggest toe possible in the transfer portal that they possibly can figure out how to tip in, uh, you have teams like Colorado turning over the entire roster. Uh we have – we just saw a, a, an Ole Miss player now popping up on the Charlotte 49ers. Not all these guys' pictures look identical. Uh, obviously, they need to work on coordinating uniforms better. Our top six guys here are returning. Uh, they were here last year as well. Like Tom Herman's entering his first year, but he's dealing with a lot of guys who have been with the program, which can create its own set of challenges. How do you institute a new culture if the culture is already entrenched there? And it's, our, it's already a good cultural, culture as well. Right. Um, right. Do you even need to change that culture? Maybe it's just a matter of talent development as opposed to culture rebuilding. There, there are a lot of things going into that. But Evan Anderson is really fantastic on that defensive front. Chaz Neal is great on the offensive front there. Those pieces – 
definitely help. What feels like it should be a pretty easy rebuild process, like Florida Atlantic's not that far off from being a regular bowl contender. Um, last year going five and seven felt like they had some left in the tank even. So it's it's very true. Very true. However, with that being said, we're on to my favorite part of the show. And so I'm not going to delay it anymore. We're, of course, talking about the University of Memphis. There is a lot of debate and uh, heated conversation, we'll call it, uh, among Memphis fans as to whether this is a hot seat season for Ryan Silverfield. He's taking the team to a bowl game every year he's been there. And I believe he's won every single one of them. Uh, aside from, I believe, his first bowl game, uh, the Cotton Bowl, when he was the interim head coach. I'm not going to hold that against him. That's a tough spot to come into against a team like Penn State as well. But I think the biggest thing you got to look for here is this team last year lacked the ability to finish in so many games. And so often it felt like their foot came off the gas pedal and then they were caught on their heels and unable to close out the football game and come away with a win. There are also a couple times where a lot of people, and I would say a lot of smart football people, would say, why aren't you calling the timeout? Why aren't you trying to get a challenge on something here? And it just didn't happen. So as much as these players need to grow and perform, Ryan Silverfield has to make some adjustments on his end as well. Now, there are people saying it's all on him. That's bullshit. Seth Hennigan has improved every single year. His progress has been slower than Paxton Lynch, but I, in my opinion, from watching him progress and where he was his freshman year, comparing that to Paxton Lynch's first year, I see a lot of similarities, and I think he's on the right track. The difference is he has not had consistency at wide receiver, and as we you can see here, Toski Dove coming in from Mizzou, he's going to be the number one target. He has no you know previous chemistry built with Seth Hennigan. That's going to be something interesting uh, to see if there is anything that gets developed here. Of course, we have Jacob Likes at center. And uh, I'm curious about this offensive line too. Memphis has produced some excellent offensive line talent in the past, but right now it seems like it might be a bit in flex. I don't know how many starters they've got returning. I haven't dug too deep into the offensive line, but what I am excited for is having a defensive end for once be a player to watch on the defensive side of the ball. It seems like this is the first Jalen Allen, who we highlighted in our preseason All-American show as well. It's it's really the first year where I haven't been over the moon about a defensive back, or we haven't had that big run stuffer in the middle of the defensive line here at Memphis. I'm interested to see how he's going to be able to control the game from that defensive end position, and they're going to need it because it seems like their pass rush has just been lacking in recent seasons. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot riding on Jalen Allen's shoulders this year. Sure. We'll have some help in the back end from Eastern Kentucky transfer Davion Ross. Very excited for him getting a big time shot here. Moving all the way up from, you know, that, I don't even know what conference Eastern Kentucky plays in off the top of my head. This is ridiculous. Why do I not know that? I feel terrible. SCS. Yeah, but like I should know that. <laughs> I mean, Oh my gosh. They're in the 
No, it's not. It's, I thought they were in the Big South OVC, but they're not. It's definitely not. <laughs> Holy shit. Whatever. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we are going to highlight... We are going to highlight well, they're, some... They're in the UAC now. That's what go. it was. They were in the other hyphenated conference that just changed their name. All right. We are going to highlight a very big non-conference game for Memphis later on in the show. So I'll talk about their other non-conference game that is worth mentioning. I want to leave with this. We'll talk about the other team in this rivalry here momentarily. But UAB and the Battle of the Bones being back is what I'm here for. There was recently the trophy exchange. Uh, I believe somebody down in Birmingham is going to give it a new patina, clean it up, and then they will bring it up back up and put it on the Memphis sideline uh, prior to that game taking place uh, in Birmingham later this season. I cannot wait for that rivalry to be renewed fully. Yeah, in addition to that, though, look at Towski Dove coming back to play the Missouri Tigers in St. Louis. Well, that was the other game I was going to talk about at the Dome at America's Center. I hope Memphis wins uh, solely because Mizzou backed out of the home-and-home aspect of this. And in fairness, a lot of that's because Barry Odom's gone. This deal was made with him there. He was the coach for the first game, and they have no reason to go to Memphis anymore. I would argue that's not the only reason you want Memphis to win, but okay. (laughs) I don't don't anticipate them winning is my point. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we do have the United States Naval Academy, uh, their first-year head coach. That's a very long time since we've been able to say that about Navy. Ken Niamatololo was there for as long as I can possibly remember. It was long enough for me to learn. Long enough for me to learn how to properly pronounce his name, and Tug for that matter. That's more impressive. Tug even knew how to pronounce his name. He was also the highest paid employee of the Department of Defense. That is <laughs> legitimately a true fact about Ken New Matalolo <laughs> and his time at Navy. Uh, the football coach for the Naval Academy was the highest paid <laughs> DOD employee. It's impressive. <laughs> Uh, but now the head coach is former Ken Niamatololo defensive coordinator, Brian Newberry. Uh, yeah, things were getting a little bit stale. It felt like at the same time as uh, everyone kind of recognizes there will be ups and downs to performance with Navy football. There weren't the The ups weren't as high as they used to be out of the past couple of ups, up seasons. So I understand what's the the decision. I understand where it came from. Also, considering the Army has been successful in at least partially getting off of the triple option, uh, moving more closely towards a pro style of offense, they're never going to be truly pro style, but having some semblance of a passing game is pretty impressive for army. And then you have air force who is expected to potentially be in the mountain West title conversation that that's your standard at Navy competing with the other service academies more than even competing with East Carolina, Memphis, uh, North Texas. Now your other American counterparts. Well, but I will, I will say too, I mean, Navy or, Army rather has had a couple seasons where 
all they've been really playing for is the commander in chief's trophy. I'm not, I'm not saying that they've been stellar every year in the past five years. They had some great years, but not, you know, not every year. Air force on the other hand has been, you could call them the class of the mountain West is kind of tough because they are still running more of a traditional triple option, but they've been one of the better teams in their conference and they've been competing commanders in chief's cup. Navy has fallen off in both those areas. And I, I think the Academy was looking at like, you can fall off in one, but you absolutely cannot fall off in both of these. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's rough. It's rough. And they opening the season in Dublin this year against Notre Dame. Yes. It's a trial by fire for both those teams. I don't care who you are. This is the only fullback we will highlight for our conference preview series. The top six most important players on the team for the upcoming year. Uh, it does include their fullback, Daba Fofana, which is also an incredible name. <laughs> Very much enjoy that. <laughs> uh, I do like the strength up front. Joshua Pena on the offensive line, Jacob Busick on the defensive line. Again, when you have some good pieces in the trenches, it certainly helps if you're going into a rebuilding process. The rebuild process is certainly a lot different at a service academy than it is at a a regular university, if you will. A real they college. can't they can't use the transfer portal. It's not the way you know the service academy structure works. So it's uh, best of luck to them. It, it'll probably take a couple of years before we really see a Brian Newberry impact. What can he really bring to the table? We don't have any great way to gauge that, probably for another season or two. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because this team has been dominant in the past. And unfortunately, they just this is why Kenny Matololo is gone. They've got to mix something up because their triple option has become entirely too predictable. Everybody knows they're gonna do it, but there's there's not been any creativity. Really, I think the other big issue is they have not had an electric quarterback like they did, what, four or five years ago? I, his name's slipping my mind, and I'm upset about was, that. Uh, Keenan Reynolds? Keenan Reynolds, been, yeah. Because he should have won the Heisman that year, in my opinion. And I, fir- I firmly believe that. And it seems like since he left, they just have not performed at all. Yeah, and that's kind of a – uh, both a feature and a bug of working at the service academy, right? You're going to get some generational talents come through simply by the nature of what the service academies are. It is possible to get that kind of a player in. It's not going to be that frequent. So like what we saw with Army, they had an incredible edge rushing talent recently. Uh, we're not talking about Army, but that kind of a player only comes through every so often. I don't know that Navy has that kind of a player right now. I don't expect them to every season. I expect them to play their hearts out every single time they step on the field. And even that felt like it was lacking at certain points the past two years, I would say. So if we get that again, Navy will be really hard to play against, a really solid team. I don't know if they're going to win a ton of games necessarily. But getting into – Bowl eligibility every year is the floor for Navy. It has to be. And competing for that Commander-in-Chief's Cup is uh, very important. 
<laughs> and starting off the year in Dublin is crazy. It's crazy. Maybe they can pull a, a Northwestern and not win a game on U.S. soil and still have one win on the season. I hope not. <laughs> I would feel bad about that. Uh, new, new team on the screen. New first-year head coach to talk about here. Eric Morris is coming in to take over for the North Texas Mean Green. Seth Luttrell had this team in a conference championship game last year and got fired for it. Uh, that is that is both wild and somehow equally understandable because they felt like they were underperforming even though they were in a conference championship game. Uh, this is in Conference USA last year, of course. But, yeah, it what were they like? Seven, they were seven-win team heading seven, into that. Seven. So they yep. ended the year seven and seven, losing to UTSA and then losing their bowl game. Uh, this is a talented squad. This is a, a university that's put a lot of money into their facilities, into their program, really trying to build up this a football culture at North Texas. So in comes Eric Morris, who used to be at Incarnate Word, went to Washington State as the offensive coordinator there, brought his quarterback with him, Cam Ward, and then got a head coaching opportunity at North Texas. I thought it was possible Cam Ward would come with him to North Texas as well, but that's a, it's hard to step down uh, conferences to play a quarterback at a lower level like that. Uh, it would have been kind of cool, though. <laughs> I will say... I don't know how much of the defensive coaching staff has been retained, but that is what has really turned me on to this team. I I have not had the opportunity to watch a ton of their games, but from seeing highlights and somehow the algorithm on all the social media has decided you're going to watch some defensive highlights from practice for North Texas. Hell yeah. And they, (laughs) I was absolutely stunned watching this and, Yes, UTSA dismantled them. I believe that was their second time playing UTSA in the Conference USA Championship. But they only lost by three to a high-powered Boise State offense in the Frisco Bowl last year. This team, people need to start putting respect on their name and giving them the credit they deserve because they're not going to sneak up on you. They are just that good. I wish Tug were here for this episode simply for this slide alone. I would love to have him go nuts on these names. <laughs> this would be a great time for me. <laughs> uh, the only All-American on the screen right now for our Group of Five All-America squad is cornerback Ridge Tushada down there. Uh, he is one of my favorite defensive backs in the country, and it feels kind of crazy. He's very young yet has a lot of potential to grow into the role still, and yet I've seen flashes of true greatness out of him, it feels like to me. Uh, Ragsdale, running back, Burns receiver. There are some weapons here, legitimately. The the question is, who's really going to be your quarterback? Who's going to step up and perform in that role? I don't know who that could be right now. But the defensive line is is not a question. Uh, If you have a strong defensive line and a great defensive back room, you're going to perform well. Like I love linebackers, but let's be real. If you have, you know, the other two ends of it, the line and the defensive backs, linebackers become, 
you know, it's it's a, it's a nice to have, not even a not a need to have. Not a need. So. <laughs> I think North Texas could do very well this year. Like you said, I don't even know if that would necessarily be a surprise. I don't think anyone should be surprised by North Texas playing well, but on on the on, at the same time, it feels like nobody's really talking about them as a contender for the American title. And I think they might end up in that conversation. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, hosting Cal to open the season, that's going to be a massive test for this defense. And really, it's going to show us a lot about Cal's offense and what uh, well, what Brian Kelly's been able to put together there. So, If you're with us live, <laughs> stay with us for the Pac-12. I'll, I'll, we'll talk, I'll we'll talk more Cal. about them later. <laughs> Let's move right along um, to our next team, though. Staying in yeah. Texas. Because this is like a, a massive Texas conference. It is. It's certainly becoming that way. It's, it's the baby Big 12. It's the better Big 12. That's <laughs> not true. Anyway. <laughs> Next up is the Rice Owls. Rice is one of those iconic, historic football programs in all of college football. And they have been dog Hot water for garbage. the past few years. <laughs> absolute shit they were five and eight last year and i swear they were the worst team in the fucking conference like in the world last year i kind of agree and yet i also kind of feel like i really respect the job mike bloomgren's been able to do here at the same time they if you're wondering how we got to five and eight that doesn't sound like a real record for college football they were they were five and seven and got into a bowl game because there were too many bowl games for the and number of wasn't teams. allowed right right and uh they got in on academics so good for them but also what the hell i mean <laughs> and then is... they they lost to a team that probably already beat them in the regular season too in southern miss so i mean come on what are we doing yeah um uh, the Offense should be very fun to watch, though. I don't know if they're going to put up a ton of big numbers. This is JT Daniels' 47th team in college football in his 86th season in the sport. Very exciting to see him back. Uh, (laughs) He's had like two decent seasons out of the five seasons he's had in college football. Like, seriously, if I think of good JT Daniels' performances – this freshman season at USC was like, wow, this guy might be something. And then he was at Georgia for a while, didn't do anything. He was at, you know, obviously West Virginia. It's where he's transforming transferring to Rice from. Um, I I don't even know what to make of JT and Daniels. He's gonna be like, at least be at least you're getting a lot of experience. <laughs> yeah, at least you got at least one, you know, name. Name recognition receiver and Luke McCaffrey, of course, Christian McCaffrey's younger brother. And then Bradley Rosner, too. I feel like that name's more familiar than it should be. They've got another recognizable name on the defensive side of the ball, middle linebacker Chris Conti. And I'm I'm yes. half tempted to say that's why you put him on here. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Uh I think Gabriel Taylor is probably their best player on the defense. Uh Luke McCaffrey is one of those cases where you have a better athlete than you have a football player 
I think. Christian McCaffrey is his brother. He Christian McCaffrey is so great at so many different things that everybody saw Luke McCaffrey coming in like, well, what are you great at? Let's try you literally everywhere. Everywhere. Well. Yeah. Uh, he has played quarterback. He has played running back. It seems to be working now, sticking at wide receiver. If he can elevate and become a legitimate threat in the receiving room, that would be great news for Rice. It's possible. Certainly possible. They they opened the season with three games against other teams in Texas, including the Longhorns to open the season in Austin. And then coming home to play Houston and Texas Southern. Look, those those first two games are really going to show what this offense is made of. And I, I don't want to say it's going to give us a look into how the season's going to go. Those are two very difficult games to open the season with. But really, I think that Houston game is going to give us a look at how the season's going to go. And potentially that Texas game. It, it depends on if Texas comes out hot or flat. It, it really does. I mean, if Rice ends up beating the Longhorns in Austin, <laughs> go ahead and that's, disregard that's what i'm saying yeah uh, but, but that's what i'm saying to do that well <laughs> it's going to depend on if texas comes out hot or flat because they could literally do either one if that happens i'm going to take the gamble that you know quinn ewers just goes ahead and he gets himself benched after the first game of the season we have arch manning time Oh, we're already talking about Tiger King. It's time to move on and stay in the great state of Texas yet again with SMU uh, because, of course, there's more Texas teams in the American Athletic Conference. This is the second to last one. And second straight slide of West Virginia transfers. Charles Woods down there corner. Uh, Let's talk about the job that Rhett Lashley has done so far. His singular season with the Mustangs was a seven and six performance, a loss to BYU in the New Mexico Bowl by a single point. And SMU has had a reputation recently for being an extremely exciting offense with no defense and a tendency to fall apart the back end of the schedule. I didn't see that as pronounced last year. As we saw before, Rhett Lashley took over, but maybe I, I I don't even know what point I'm trying to make there. It feels like SMU might be finding their way out of that issue, but it's that's a tough stigma to break. And it seems there like there's a lot issue, of flash to this offense still. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is that's been live by live by the home run, lose by the home run. And when you find a team that can defend that well and is ready for it and you're predictable in your play calling as to when you're going to do it, it makes things difficult for them. It doesn't seem like they are a very deep team as far as play calling goes, and they're certainly not able to control the ball well, which has been the Achilles heel for a couple teams in this conference. They are bringing in a transfer at running back out of the University of Miami, Jalen Knighton, who is a very talented highly rated running back who hasn't really got a chance to prove himself yet. So we'll see what he can do here. RJ Maryland is a very talented tight end. Doesn't have a ton of stats just yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing him put up some numbers. 
this this receiving game is going to look entirely different. Tanner Tanner Mordecai is gone. Uh, Rasheed Rice is gone. So the guys who you think of when you think of the SMU offense from last year are no longer with the with the team either in the NFL or in case of Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin now. Uh, that's different, right? But you have a guy like RJ Maryland who might need to step up in a huge way. Has some experience with this school now. Only had like 300 yards receiving last year, but I see the talent in him. Let's see if SMU can draw that out and really produce something special here. Uh, I I don't know what to expect out of SMU. I think I like Rhett Lashley's scheme and his system, but we need to see it come together on a team that has, let's be honest, it has less talent than last year's squad. I'll say this too, looking at their non-conference schedule, it definitely looks like they're auditioning for the Big 12, but it might be a little bit tougher with uh, <laughs> all the Pac-12 craziness that's going on. But like we said, we will talk about that for our audio listeners in the next episode. And and you know, if you're watching this live, you'll see it in a little bit. We got some, we got uh, a little under half of the American Athletic Conference to get through here. So, to the worst team in the conference, at least by record, shall we? I guess <laughs> I, I'll say this if we, if we have to <laughs> the loudest, the loudest, the South Florida faithful got last year was when they had a ceremony honoring Quentin flowers, friend of the show, Quentin flowers. Uh, yes. That tells you pretty much all you need to know about the state of this college football team at present time. Yeah. Uh, they do have a new head coach. Alex Golsh was the, in theory, at least, was an architect of that Tennessee offense from last year that did so well. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we got to get a piece of that somehow. Let's bring in the offensive coordinator. So Alex Golsch gets his first head coaching gig here with the USF Bulls. He'll be coaching a talented but inconsistent quarterback in Jerry Bohannon, who can be very fun to watch at times, but also probably a little bit frustrating to folks who are really a big fan of his. Uh, he'll be helped in the backfield by Florida transfer Naquan Wright. I do think they have a great left tackle. I don't think any other piece of that offensive line is particularly that great, though, unfortunately. A lot of runs <laughs> to the right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what I, happens here. I just want this team to be good again. I really do. This was... This and the next team we're going to talk about killed you with speed in different ways than SMU. SMU was looking for the home run pass every play. South Florida just had guys that could straight run past you all over the field, whether it was Quentin Flowers out of the backfield or whoever he was handing it off to. They had some great running backs. They, of course, had some great receivers as well. Mm -hmm. I, I just want this team to be better. I want them to be good again. I don't, I don't know if this is the year that's going to happen, though. I will say, if I trust anybody to get the best out of Jerry Bohannon, it would be a guy like Alex Golsch who was able to get the best out of the Tennessee quarterback last year, Hendon Hooker, who honestly has a pretty similar play style. Yep, and looks so, like one of the best quarterbacks in the nation until he went down with injury. And their non-conference schedule does set them up to figure things out initially. Uh, Western Kentucky and Florida A&M. But then, amazingly, the Alabama Crimson Tide are coming to town. They're going to be... Unbelievable. 
Alabama is going to play a game at South Florida. Raymond James uh, Stadium. Yeah. Which is which is the Bulls home stadium. Don't don't get me wrong. It is. It is not a it's not a neutral site. It is their home stadium. Right. That I, I, I would I would say that's probably the only reason why they're willing to go. It kind of feels right that Alabama gets to play at a professional stadium. <laughs> Just they have to play against USF. Hey, but also <laughs> but also tip the cap to Alabama for doing that. All right. I don't Right. I don't know all the right. details of it. I don't care enough to to look, frankly, but tip of the cap to them. That at least they honor wanna, their home and home agreements. I don't want to find out something stupid about why this is happening. I just wanted to take it for what it is and love it for what it is. Uh, Alabama has not played at a group of five opponent since, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe they have not played at a group of five opponent since 2003. So this is exciting, uncharted territory. <laughs> for Alabama coming to USF. Uh, best of luck to the Bulls in that matchup. That's, <laughs> that's all I can say there. <laughs> it's going to be painful. <laughs> It'll probably be fun for one side. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love... I love Seth Hennigan, but if there was one quarterback in the conference that I wish was at Memphis, maybe a little bit more than him, it's EJ Warner at Temple. That is wild to me because if I had to pick a worse team in the conference and I couldn't pick South Florida, I would definitely pick Temple. Uh, <laughs> I just love Kurt Warner that much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, EJ Warner had a fine season last year. Like, it wasn't the worst quarterback season I've ever seen. There, there, there are worse outcomes. <laughs> I would say, though, kind of like we talked about, South Florida's opening non-conference schedule being very favorable to them. I would say Temple's is very much the same. Akron, Rutgers, Norfolk State, and then hosting VU, which they're still a wild card in my book. They've definitely got some things to figure out. Again, another team that traditionally, when they've been good, has been good with speed. Three and nine, one and seven in conference last year. They've got some things to work through. Obviously, EJ Warner, this is going to be his second season in the offense with second year head coach Stan Drayton. I think there's more promise in this team than some people will give them credit for. Do I expect them to be competing for the conference? No, but I do think they'll be out. I would say they'll be bowl eligible this year. I think that's probably that's probably wow. within their grasp this year. That's a lot bolder than I'm willing to go for them. I will say it's a great rivalry matchup week two at the Piscataway YMCA. Looking forward to that one. <laughs> that is Rutgers for the uninitiated. Uh, I, I like Temple's linebacking core. I will say that. That's probably my favorite part of this team. The Jordan duo, Jordan McGee and Leighton Jordan. <laughs> big fan of that not only for name reasons but also because i think they're actually both very good uh and could play anywhere in this conference they happen to be a temple for stan drayton and we'll see we'll see how they do yeah i'm not going to put it past them that they might get to bowl eligibility but i 
I would be surprised. I think that six one is going to be tough. I will say that. I will I will quantify it and say that six one is going to be the tough one for the, them to get, in my opinion. I see I see four realistically in my mind. Uh, I see we'll... I I see four in a toss up and then a six one they would have to fight for. That's that's kind of where I'm getting vulnerability for them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Moving we'll on see. to a much better team whose name also starts with T because there's not enough teams that start with T in this conference. There's That's... only three. <laughs> Fair. A team that came out of nowhere for some of us, right? Came out of nowhere for mm-hmm. some of us to take the conference by storm. Willie Fritz, he is really turned this program around. We kind of knew that the change, the the turning of the tides, pun intended, uh, was coming. But I don't think any of us expected it to be last season. I believe you and I were talking about this season being the year to look out for them, and they were, they yes. were a year ahead of schedule. Yes, I remember that conversation because it was a couple of years ago. We were watching Tulane, and like, holy cow, they're – they're playing with heart. They're playing tough. You get some talented folks in this squad. Willie Fritz has something going on here. And I, and I remember, I remember specifically. We're going to talk about this game later, so I don't want to give away too much of it. Specifically, I was watching a game of theirs two years ago after it had been moved due to hurricane, and the team went out there with heart, but man, they did. They just didn't have it in them. They, you could tell they were just drained. They were out there playing their hearts out, and it just did not work out for them. But, man, this team was – or, no, this was not against the team we're talking about later. This was against Oklahoma that it got moved for. They're yeah. out there part. They just did not have it in them with everything else that was going on for them at the time. Last season, yeah, though. And, that, and that, was, yeah. that was Lincoln Riley Heisman winning Oklahoma era. Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> and they were right there. And I think it was supposed to be in Tulane. It was supposed to be in New Orleans. I think if they host that, I absolutely think they win that game because they gave uh, they gave the Sooners all they could handle in that one. So our top six here of players on the, on the screen for you for Tulane are all returning from last year's American Athletic Conference Championship squad and Cotton Bowl winning squad. They are a New Year's Six champion. Uh, after they beat University of Southern California 46-45 in the Cotton Bowl. Just an incredible showing. I know U.S. of say, <laughs> the, the U of SC. <laughs> yes. U of SC. I fucked it up, but I don't even care. They're not the real USC. I know people will say, that, you know, Caleb Williams, in his speech for the Heisman, he's talking about how we didn't make a playoff. So, like, you can tell the team didn't care as much. It's a New Year's Six Bowl. If you don't come out and play your best, what the fuck are you doing? This is one of the most important bowl just games sit, of the entirety of bowl season. Just sit out. Everybody does it right. now anyway. Just sit out. Right. And Caleb Williams still played in the game. They didn't. They didn't have anybody sit out. It is the Cotton Bowl still. So for them to come out and lose 46-45 to Tulane, it's not an indication of – you can't take that as USC just gave up on it. You, that's that's not a reasonable argument. Tulane yeah. came out and, and played their hearts out. 
and won the Cotton Bowl. Especially with not how they whooped up on UCF. This is not like they were a bad team that just happened to sneak away with that win. No, this was a hard-fought win for them in the Cotton Bowl. So Michael Pratt is back at quarterback. Sincere Haynesworth was our Group of Five All-American center. Darius Hodges as edge rusher for Tulane is just – it has been incredible. Uh, Jarius Monroe back there at corner is also somebody to definitely keep an eye on. And Willie Fritz is uh, a miracle worker. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Tulane hasn't been good since the 40s. And here they are as one of the best teams in this conference. Yes, it's it's beautiful to see, really. As, as an objective fan, it's beautiful to see. As a Memphis fan, I really hate that there's not an easy win penciled in there for Tulane anymore. Let's go ahead and jump to Tulsa with their first year head coach. Yet another one. Uh, one more after this, too. We're not we're not escaping it. Kevin Wilson is here. Uh, after being formerly a head coach at Indiana. It's Indiana, so we all know how that went. Uh, then he was offensive coordinator for Ohio State for a couple of years. It is very easy to say. Offensive coordinator at Ohio State with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline really the, being the ones to run the show. What in the world did Kevin Wilson even do here? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's fair, but also I get it. <laughs> so I think this is a great opportunity to see what Kevin Wilson really did there. <laughs> Uh, he does have a talented quarterback coming back. I do like Braylon Braxton quite a bit. Uh, it, he's a very young quarterback, though. We'll see what he's able to do with Kevin Wilson's coaching. Ethan Hall is another one of these. There are a couple of really talented tight ends in this conference who don't necessarily have the stats to back up me saying that they're very talented yet. Uh, but they're young guys. They have another season or two in them. Let's give them a shot here. I think Ethan Hall can be great for Tulsa. And... Joseph Anderson has some of the best hair that I've seen so far in the American Athletic Conference. That's got that's got to do something. Uh, I don't know. Ethan Ethan Halls is pretty good. Ethan Halls is pretty great, Uh, but I I don't know. The blonde throws me off a little bit. I like the dark hair mullet action from Joseph Anderson. (laughs) That's fair. I gotta say, Tulsa (laughs) Kevin Wilson. I don't know that he necessarily has a tall task ahead of him. Uh, This team. Uh, definitely a team of missed opportunities. Opening the season in Laramie against Wyoming, losing that one in double overtime. You would think maybe that kind of sets them up on a bad, you know, a bad road to go down. They win their next two and then only lose to Ole Miss by uh, by eight points. I mean, it's a one possession game, ten points for Cincinnati, but then they get boat raced, pun intended, by Navy. Just absolutely blown out in that one, and that kind of blew up the rest of the season. I. They they closed up beating Houston. I mean, this one this team is such a head scratcher. You can yeah. never really tell what you're going to get when you play them. I man, this is this is tough. I I'm curious to see how much he's going to be able to change the culture and really affect change for this team for the better. And really, the better I think we're looking for is just consistency. Yeah, I would. I I was just about to say, I think it is exactly the inconsistency that's the reason they have a new head coach this year. If they can iron that out, even play it in an even keel, 
not necessarily their greatest football if they can play at an even keel, even this 80% of their potential. This is a seven-win team this year. Easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have a couple of very difficult non-conference games, uh, one of which we'll talk about in a little <laughs> bit more in depth in a minute, but also at Washington. Uh, and then another Power 5 game. So it's it's like, good luck <laughs> with this schedule. But if you can survive these early season tests and really prove that you can hang in there, maybe that gives your team some confidence in and of itself going into the conference slate where there are a couple of very winnable games to start off the American schedule for Tulsa. I would say their toughest game isn't until the middle of November. So they have a good stretch where they could rattle off a bunch of wins and get to bowl eligibility pretty quickly. If, yeah, assuming they they get into some kind of rhythm where they're playing consistently, so <laughs> they they are also able. Aside from Tulane, the back the last three conference games are going to be tough, and we already mentioned they've got two very tough non conference games. But the front end of their conference schedule is very favorable for them, and I appreciate that there's no uh, there's no divisions in the American Athletic Conference, but this right here is why they do need divisions because this team could end up being in the conversation uh, to go to that conference championship game. And we really don't know. I really don't know that they're going to be fully deserving of that. It's, it's going to be the end of the year. That's really going to tell the story for them as far as uh, the American athletic conference goes. Yeah. I mean, they still have to play at SMU at Tulane home for North Texas at East Carolina, but that's what I'm saying. Tulane, North Texas, and East Carolina. That is a hell of a finish to the season. Right. That's that's brutal. I'm, if they're going to be bowl eligible, I'm going to say it's going to happen before November. Do they get that sixth? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> so, <clears throat> next up is UAB, their first year in this conference with a first-year head coach, Trent Dilfer, coming into town. Hey, that name sounds familiar. Wasn't he just coaching yeah. high school and grabbing kids by the face mask and pissing people off because nobody's watched a high school football sideline in their life, apparently? That's the only thing he's known for, yes. <laughs> That's the only thing he's ever done in his life. The reason that you've heard of him before, <laughs> he used to be a high school football coach. That is correct. Uh, don't look it up. <laughs> he has also had been on a little bit of a podcast tour since becoming the head coach at UAB, saying, hey, I'm in this for the long haul. UAB is one of my passion projects now in life. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is the biggest college football I can possibly get into. I don't want to be a head coach at, say, Georgia or Florida. I want to be at a school like UAB where you have some great traditions, but you also have a chance to really connect with the young men, develop this talent. And it's... That's cool. You're saying all the right things. Also, you're Trent Dilfer with zero had zero coaching experience out of a single year of high school football. Like this is uh this is an experiment right here. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> it might work out, but and geez. boy, oh boy, did they want to end their non-conference schedule with something that's going to be very painful for everybody. They end their non-conference schedule 
in Athens against the defending national champions. And then if that isn't bad enough, they then have to open the conference schedule against defending conference champion 12 and two to lane. I mean, this is yeah. Whoever made this schedule deserves to be slapped across the face because this is not fair to UAB. This is very nearly the opposite of Tulsa's schedule where <laughs> <laughs> they they not only have to play at Tulane, they have to play at UTSA. They're home for Memphis. They're home for, you know, for Atlantic. But then they at Navy, which is always tough, especially for a team who doesn't normally play a triple option kind of a team. This is the first mm-hmm. year in the conference. So good luck figuring that out immediately at North Texas. At Georgia, I mean, holy shit, <laughs> man! You know, I was without really looking at their schedule. I was thinking they were going to have a good year. Uh, man, this conference schedule is not kind to of them. They did draw probably four of the best teams in this yeah. conference. Oh, man, at least they got at least they got one of them at home. The only one they say. the only one they have at home is Memphis. They're on the road at Tulane, at UTSA, and at North Texas. Yes. Somebody wanted to fuck them over. Um, probably Trent Dilfer himself wanted to give himself a hard <laughs> first go of it. Set expectations lower. <laughs> now, I, I will say the defense for UAB is the most exciting part of this team for me. Outside looking in, I like I like Jermaine Brown and everything. Tawan Parker is great and all, but this defense is actually legitimately talented, like really good and can stand up to this conference slate as much as we're talking about how hard this could be. Fish McWilliams, McMilliams, I don't even know what I was about to say there. Fish McWilliams uh, is one of our group of five All-Americans across the front of that defensive line. Mac McWilliams on the back end, not related, just the same last name, and apparently really difficult for me to pronounce for some reason. Uh, That's cool. Jackson Bratton at middle linebacker, is probably my favorite linebacker in this entire conference. And as much as I talk about how much I like the linebackers for Temple, Jackson Bratton individually is better than both those guys. So I like this defense quite a bit. This Trent Dilfer thing, though, I I have a hard time buying it. And, oh, gosh. Good luck, UAB. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, that takes us to defending Conference USA champions, UTSA, who will not be able to defend their crown because they're no longer in Conference USA, heading into the American Athletic Conference for the first season in in the AAC. Uh, Jeff Trailer is coming along with them. He looks way younger than he really is. I, You could tell me that man is 38 years old in that picture. He is in his upper 50s. He's been a high school football coach in Texas for like 30 years, which is why this has worked so well, honestly. To have those relationships with Texas high school football is is so incredibly important for a group of five Texas school. Mm-hmm. You cannot overstate that importance. This is this is why they're and, dominating the rivalry, the 210 yeah. rivalry with Texas State. Yes. And the make-believe rivalry that people think of because their names are similar with UTEP. Uh, it's not a competition at all because 
UTEP can't do anything to defend a guy who has the relationships and already gets the best talent who doesn't go to UT Austin. So Frank Harris is coming back. One of the best quarterbacks in group of five Texas football history. I'm just going to put that out there right now. I don't even think that would be controversial. Not at all. Uh, Not at all. Oscar Cardenas was our group of five All-American tight end. Joshua Cephas should have been the second best receiver on this squad. Who should have been their best receiver just transferred to Ole Miss. So, you know, Joshua Cephas needs to step up a bit, but he's certainly capable of doing so. He's going to be a thousand-yard receiver, definitely. Like, this is a... This is a scary, talented offense, and the defense is – I didn't even have to, like, look up who the roster is. I was like, oh, yeah, obviously Nick Troy Fortune is going to be one of my guys. Rashad Wisdom is going to be one of my guys for sure. Back end of this defense is just really good now. And <laughs> then I find out Brandon Brown is like a legitimate run stuffer up the middle legitimate stat grabber in his own right a nose guard so like to that speak doesn't happen yeah uh, stats <laughs> i'll i'll say this too you know we we talk schedules a little bit here um i don't even want to talk about their non-conference schedule i want to talk about the fact that i've gone to every single team's website to look at their schedule there has been one team that has had the american conference championship penciled in on their website. Would you like to guess who it is? Apparently, I would have to say it's going to be UTSA. <laughs> I mean, that just shows you the expectations for this squad. And that's not even coming from Jeff Trailer. That is the university and the athletic department. And frankly, I don't know that that's that far off. Right. I don't, if you don't have anything else to uh, talk about with the Roadrunners right now, I actually want to go to that before we get to our, uh, are non-conference games to talk about because honestly, I'm I'm ex- I'm jacked up to talk about this conference championship game first. Well, I I do want to say before we talk about that, the non-conference schedule for UTSA is fascinating because they're playing at Houston, then they're playing Army, and they're playing at Tennessee, and with the coaching Texas changes, State after playing Houston, yeah, Texas State is a thing that happens, but I'm, <laughs> I want to get to Tennessee. They're at Tennessee, uh, which Tennessee, with all their expectations, now built up because of last year's wild, out-of-nowhere season with Hendon Hooker and Alex Golsh coming together. Those two guys are gone. You don't really know what you have at Tennessee right now. They're going to come in with all the hype in the world because they're Tennessee and because they're Neyland and Knoxville and everybody around there likes to pretend that they're the best team ever for some reason. Uh that's going to be a huge matchup. I don't think Tennessee is ready for the kind of threat the UTSA is going to come into kneeling with. That could be one of the biggest games this offseason, this this non-conference slate. And it's it's not a game that we're going to talk about individually because it's not at a, an American Athletic Conference stadium. It's at Neyland. But holy shit, I, I might take UTSA to win that game, depending on how – Tennessee comes out with a completely different system, completely different offense. So that's UTSA is that good. I like them a lot. I take it back. ECU had it as well, but that's besides the point. I, uh, whatever. 
<laughs> I do think if you're watching, if you're watching, you saw a little glimpse of our uh, our non-conference previews. I think it, there's probably four or five teams, honestly, that I think have a shot at competing for this. What's going to be interesting, though, is how schedules fall out, how schedules line out. I sure. I don't think it's completely out of the question that we get another back-to-back championship game, as this conference has been known to do, between Tulane and UTSA. However, I'm not exactly ready to write off North Texas, ECU, or Memphis, for that matter. And uh, it's a tall order. I could see UAB doing it, too. They have, they definitely have their work cut out for them, probably more than anybody in the conference. But I think yeah. this conference is really wide open, and it's not because there's no good teams; it's because there are a lot of good teams in this conference. It is very realistic. As much as I was like shit talking UAB's offense and all that, they were seven and six last year, and depending on what Trent Dilfer can do, this could be a very good team. I think you're absolutely right. The defense is legitimately scary. Defense wins championships. It's possible. UAB could be in that conversation. We talked about Tulsa's schedule to the point where if they're seven and five, it wouldn't surprise me all that much. Yeah. Yeah. Even eight and four. Uh, East Carolina is going to be up there. Memphis is going to be up there. North Texas is going to be up there. SMU is going to be up there. UTSA, Tulane, of course, are going to be up there. Florida Atlantic could be up there too. Honestly. Yeah. That could be. We're talking about eight of the 14 teams. It's legitimate, not kidding, conversation potentially for this conference title. I will say the easy answer is probably right to me. Tulane UTSA would make a ton of sense here. And So who would you take winning that one? Between those two right now, I would take Tulane. Um. I don't love that necessarily. Like, there's so many other ways this could go legitimately. I'm, I think I'm going to take the, the low hanging fruit though, and go with the reigning defending undisputed and, and still <laughs> the undisputed American athletic conference champions of the world. So uh, I'm going to take Tulane to repeat. Okay. And you, but you got to hear me out, huh? Are you going to roll like a D20 and see <laughs> what team you end up with on the other side of that? <laughs> end up with Navy, that, like it was maybe. Who knows? It could be. Uh, <laughs> what I think I wanted to go ECU, but ECU has to play Tulane and UTSA, and I think that's going to do yeah. it. In. Uh, let me go back to – I still have UTSA schedule up. UTSA, they've got ECU in North Texas and Tulane mm-hmm. to close out the season. Let's We've see. seen this enough times in the American, though, where it becomes like a almost a, a rite of passage. Your your last game of the regular season <laughs> yeah. just has to be your conference championship game yeah. matchup. So. UTSA at Tulane, and then we get the same exact thing in a couple of yeah. more weeks. <laughs> and Memphis, Memphis has doesn't have UTSA. They don't have ECU, but they do have North Texas and SMU. I, 
I think SMU is on a little bit lower peg than probably the other ones we've talked about. I would agree and they, with that. They're at North Texas, but they're home against Tulane. Of course, I'm going to lean this way. I'm trying to. I'm trying to talk myself into another team. I really am. I know what you're going to say, though. It's fine. It's okay. Let me let me look at Tulsa's schedule again. I I let me look. I want to take Memphis in the conference championship game. I really do, right. but I also really don't. You know, for for the sake of all this, I want to put put the put my due diligence in and take a look at it. The problem with Tulsa is like we talked about with them earlier. We don't know what we're getting, and that seems to be the case every. Oh, they close out Tulane, North Texas, ECU. Fuck it, yeah. I have to take Memphis here. I it does it does pain me a little bit to do it. Not that much. I, I'm not that upset about it. Uh, but it. That being said, it's a it's a big prove it year for Memphis in a lot of regards. This is a big year yeah. for Seth Hennigan. This is a big year uh, for Ryan Silverfield. I I don't know that I agree that you know if this is conference championship title or bust for Ryan Silverfield. I think fans are ridiculous, uh, but I will say I think they have the potential to only lose uh, one, maybe two games in the conference, which would be a vast improvement over the three and five conference record they put up last year. I think that's really where they need to improve. They cannot go three and five in the conference again. And I don't anticipate that being the case. I think with the potential of them only having one conference loss, I think that would put them in a good position to get to the to the conference championship. But there could be multiple one loss conference uh one loss teams in conference play this year. I will say I've already locked in Tulane UTSA as the boring pick. Uh the that's that's the broke option. The woke option is you know, probably the one Tug would have picked if he were here. Just let's go ahead and pencil it in for him. Uh, Memphis against UAB uh, <laughs> for the conference title. Battle of the Bones Part 2. <laughs> they get an even bigger rack of ribs trophy. <laughs> Loser has to eat New York City uh, barbecue. So then regular season, you get a half rack. And then conference title, you get a full rack of ribs. Here's your trophy. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> going going but, backwards, though, we do have some non-conference games. I don't want to forget about those before we get out of here. Yeah, so we, we've been trying to pick the biggest non-conference games that are happening in stadiums uh, of the conference that we're talking about. So big-time teams coming to the conference. This is, for the most part, uh, Power 5 teams coming to play American Athletic Conference teams because the American has the reputation now of, hey, these teams are really freaking good. You can get a Tulane who comes out there and wins a New Year's Six Bowl. You can get a Memphis who comes out and plays very well in New Year's Six Bowl. You can get a Cincinnati who goes out and makes the college football playoff. Those teams came out of the American like the American is a legitimately solid conference. We're not going to talk about Alabama at USF in here, the top three most anticipated non-conference games. Alabama's going to walk. Everybody knows it. Uh, but Ole Miss at Tulane could be a legitimately fantastic game. And it's at Tulane. It's at Yolman Stadium in New Orleans, September 9. That is a game to look forward to. 
just for anybody around the country. If you're not watching that game, you're doing something wrong because that is what a matchup that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss is a question mark yet again, as it seems like they always are, even though they always have high expectations for that team. I don't think their expectations match Tulane's expectations, which is insane to say. I'm probably more excited for this game than really any other game that we have on the slate here. Ole Miss, they're hoping to finish like third in their division. Tulane is hoping to go back to a New Year's Six and potentially crash the college football playoff. Like that's <laughs> that's the goals for Tulane as opposed to Ole Miss. They Ole Miss would love to be able to finish behind Alabama and LSU uh, <laughs> in their division. That's so, true. That's true. <laughs> Next up, we have an in-state matchup. Oklahoma is heading down to Tulsa in Tulsa, Oklahoma, H.A. Chapman Stadium, September 16. This is one of the biggest disparities in Power 5 stadium size to Group of 5 stadium size that they're visiting this year, which is a very fun stat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tulsa yeah. Stadium is very small, uh, but they're hosting the Sooners on what needs to be a prove-it year for the Sooners, right? Last year's six and six. That's not good enough for Oklahoma. Mm-mm. And Tulsa, five and seven. Like you could look at this from the outside saying both teams are really bad. Why would I care about this? <laughs> at the same time, this is one of those fuel in the fire that starts, you know, the that starts the bigger revolution kind of a deal. And this it, this is a rivalry between these two schools, frankly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, pretty historic rivalry goes back a very long time. And if whoever wins this game, that's just massive to the future success of the, of the program. Like this yeah. feels like a huge yeah. turning point for both of these teams. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overselling it, but I don't, I don't think you are. I think you're, I think you're spot on with this. I really do because wins this game this is massive and Tulsa might end up being in that conversation for the conference championship like we were saying they might end up being not like, just the is... conference not just the conference championship but this next game too this kind of goes right into it Boise State at Memphis this game again <laughs> before the events of the last 24 hours uh looked like it was going to be a big tryout for the Big 12 I still think it has that potential. And going back to the Tulsa game for a second, Oklahoma's leaving the Big 12 after this season. They're going to be in the SEC. So it's another tryout game. We got three teams that are really looking to potentially go up. And hell, Tulane could even do that too. Because by the way, they have more SEC conference championships than Ole Miss. But that's a different discussion. Uh, That is this discussion. Fuck Ole Miss. (laughs) Let's go Tulane. Green wave, baby. Fuck Ole Piss. Uh Boise State at Memphis this is something group of five football fans have been waiting for for a while, I would say. Really, Boise to play any of the uh, the better teams in the southeast part of the country. To, uh, Tulane probably has entered that conversation, but UCF would have been one I think people would have loved to have seen in the past well, couple they did, of years. They did play UCF the past couple of years. That's right, it was that's a, right. It was a very anticipated game. You're right. That's right. So <laughs> Boise – 
Boise brings eyes whenever they come out to this part of the country to take on another, like a peer, basically, because them and Memphis are peers. Right. I am, I'm ecstatic for this one. I'm, I'm very excited to see how this game goes down. As much as we talk about this potentially being like a tryout for a Power Five conference, Boise State has not been in those conversations at all. I think of their own volition. Like, I think Boise State is comfortable being in the Mountain West and doesn't want to go anywhere. In which... fairness, <laughs> the Mountain West might become a Power Five conference here in a little bit anyway. So maybe they're playing right. their cards right. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they definitely don't seem to have any momentum towards going to the Big 12. So if – I don't know if this is necessarily – fairly billed as a tryout for a power five conference, but it is one of those matchups where you look at it and say, this, these are two of the best group of five teams over the past 20 years. This should be a really solid matchup. And it's, it's one that we're definitely looking forward to. I, I just got to say, you know, I, I've been anticipating this episode probably more than any i mean we've gone almost an hour 30 just talking about the american in part because they have so many fucking teams yeah it's, uh, it's a lot now <laughs> but also they it's it's very intriguing a conference that so many people are writing off because they did have massive departures i don't want to undersell that at all but so many people are writing this conference off when really there is a ton of good football that's going to be going on here and you would be a fool to not be paying attention to what they're going to put on the field this year. Yeah, the American is just as exciting as ever. Oh, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston were a lot of brand recognition for the conference. But, man, there are a lot of great brands being built right now. And, and I, some historic I, ones, too, that are coming back. I mean, Tulane is, at, used to be very dominant. So let's let's get a resurgence of Tulane dominance, and and let's really... not forget, right? Let's not forget that two years before UCF went undefeated for the first time, they hadn't they didn't win a single game. This right. conference builds brands. This conference builds teams up. I'm just saying, you better pay attention to the American Athletic Conference. What it sounds like you're saying is, watch out for USF. They're coming. <laughs> USF is coming. USF is inevitable. <laughs> but listen, if you are an audio listener, this is the end of this episode. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, same thing, same story there. However, if you're live with us here, you're going to hear these links twice because we're going to take a quick break after this. But here's all of our links. You want to support the show, maybe send a little money our way. Check out patreon.com backslash Football. You can also check us out live on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash big dudes in the trenches, all one word there. We will respond to your comments if they are football related. And if they're, you know, just, hey, how's it going, guys? I'll respond to you uh, in the chat uh, live here. So come on over, say hi to us. You can also ask us questions live on the air. If you don't want to ask live, you can email us, mailbox at bdtfootball.com, which, by the way, we have a website, bdtfootball.com. You can check us out Crazy on Twitter, right? Twitter.com backslash BDT football or at BDT football. Same thing with Facebook.com. The only difference is Instagram.com. It is BDT underscore football. We're working on the best way to utilize Facebook and Instagram. We've been dominating the Twitter game and we've been having a lot of fun in our discord as well. 
the link is in the description or scrolling across the bottom here. Uh, and last but not least, like I mentioned, we do have those videos out there for your viewing pleasure later. You can check out youtube.com backslash big dudes in the trenches. Doug, before we have uh, our little little pause here, before we get into the Pac-12, do you have anything you would like to add, sir? Yeah, I will say that posting in the Discord has become a second full-time job for me. It's really bringing down my social life. Join the Discord <laughs> so you can get all the latest college football news possible because I'm literally on top of that shit 24-7. I need to sleep. It's a problem, but also it's a great way to get college football news. That's my pitch. <laughs> and if you are live in our uh, in our chat right now, I just posted a seven-day link for the Discord as well, so be sure to check that out. But, uh, audio listeners, we will see you next time. See you next time, YouTube, and if you're live with us, see you back shortly. Peace out, everybody.